I am Joel McLeod. I'm Rohan Tanner. And welcome to another episode of the 905er. Um, normally, this is our, our Thursday roundup episode, and Roll and I would just go through the headlines and, and uh, start cherry picking a few ideas that we, we'd uh, riff on. But this is going to be a, a little bit of a different setup uh, for our listeners. If you recall, uh, Tuesday's episode, we had on HCDSB chair of the board, Patrick Murphy, to discuss what seemed to be a, a breakdown in, in board conduct uh, and what the board was, was doing to, uh, to rectify that. And we put the episode up on Tuesday morning, as we normally do, and it, got, it garnered a bit of attention. Uh, we had a number of parents who listened to the, to the episode and had some, uh, some reactions to uh, Chair Murphy's comments. And one of the parents who, who were vocal about it was, is our guest today, Lauren Wallace, who is one of the organizers of a grassroots parents group called Halton Parents for Change. Now I'll, I'll I'll throw it over to her in a bit to explain what the group is about, and but we we want, invited her on to give us her take uh, from how 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 the ongoing behavior of the board has been affected by parents uh, on the ground. And so, without further ado, I want to throw it open to you, Lauren, and welcome to welcome to the nine oh fiver. Thanks for having me. So, Lauren, let's let's start off. Uh, can you just introduce your group, Halton Parents for Change, wh- who they are, what they're about, and why you exist? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Halton Parents for Change came together uh, during the Pride Flag debate back in May when Trustee Agnew first tabled the motion. Um, we came together as parents who wanted to support this motion. We were general, generally in favor of it, saw all the reasons, the, the obvious reasons that it should be done at the school level. Um, and as the as that whole debate went on, we all started talking a little bit more and realized we were very aligned with what with changes that we wanted to see at the board level, um, mostly around inclusion, not just for the two SLGBTQ plus community within the Catholic system, but generally all marginalized groups. Um, so we sort of came together and said, if we, you know, sort of pool some of our resources and some of our um, efforts that we can actually get some traction here, because obviously that was a very charged debate. And um, and got a lot of people paying attention. So we came together and, and formed Halton Parents for Change, and it's it's been a bit of a wild ride in the last six months. The, re- the reason why we had you on is uh, you got shared to a couple uh, uh, Facebook groups uh, yesterday's episode, and I saw your reaction to Chair Murphy's comments on the on the episode. Tell us what you thought. What, what, what was what's your reaction to uh, to his uh, to his comments on that episode? Um. Vast, in a word. Um, so, I mean, it, there were there were sort of two sides of it. So, on on the one side, he was talking about the whole trustee conduct piece and the report that he had um, that he had put forward at the end of June to have a third party do that um, to to do that report on what was happening at the board. And um, I thought that that report was very insightful. And when he was talking about it on the on the podcast, it you know it, that he I think he generally hit it on on the head. Um, I think. Of the three chairs we've had, he's been the most effective at keep at getting things done and keeping things on track. Um, give him credit there. I didn't think that the accusations that were made against him about being biased were true at all. Um, so that was. I, I'm glad that he's he's at least taking the report to heart, and I'm glad that he feels empowered to uh, try to shut down some of that dilatory and frustrating behavior, the the tactics that delay proceedings and all that sort of thing that you guys touched on as well. Um, then on the flip side, you get into what he had to say about how the whole pride debate went on and 
then then my my view of the podcast changed a bit. It's not a reflection on you. Um, it was <laughs> uh, goodness. Where where to even start? I mean, it's it's a debate that shouldn't have been a debate. It's it's something that students brought forward. The original the original motion was brought forward by a non-binary student who wanted to see this change happen at their high school, and it came forward from there. So when he said it's never been brought to the board before, that wasn't true. It's It's been brought to the board. It just hasn't been brought to the board table. There's never been a board meeting debate about it. But I'm sure if you ask trustees about it, like flying the pride flag in June is not a new concept. That's been being done for a long time. And the public boards have been flying it for years. This is not something new. It's something that we've just never done because it's a faith issue, as it, you know, so to speak. Um, so, you know, so, so that, that comment that, you know, it's the first time it's been brought to the board table, we need to figure, and when he said we need to figure out if it's right for our board, your students requested it. They told you why they requested it. They told you the importance. There's not a conversation on if it's right for the board. It's something to keep your students safe. And then to expand on that, when he said we need to, when, when the, when the trustees who were against it, there were a lot of comments in that meeting about having a shared understanding of what the pride flag means. I don't think anybody has a question about what it means. When you listen to the delegations, the ones that were in favor and the ones that were against, nobody said, I don't understand why the, what this means. I don't understand why it's important. They just didn't like what it stood for and didn't like why it was important. And that's why the people who were against it were against it. So this whole shared understanding was like, it's their flag. It's their message. They're the ones who get to dictate it. Your responsibility as a trustee is to listen to your students. When when you see the behavior of the, of the board um, has been going on in, for the last couple, well, last year or so, what's the, what's your reaction as a parent? And and you know, let, let's let's be honest, as a as a taxpayer, as, as somebody who pays their, your property taxes, go to this board. Like, do you have confidence in the board that they that they have interests of you as a parent of as, as a uh, of your of your children who are going to these schools? Do you think do you have confidence they have that they're going to make the best decisions for what your your education needs? Uh, for the most part, nope. Um, the amount of time that's spent discussing things that are not to do with school and the school environment. I mean, Murphy even touched on that. He said most of our discussion is not not academic. That's not okay. Um, I started paying more attention to the meetings last year when all the masking was happening in August leading up to kids going back to school. And my reaction as a parent was like, are you kidding me? Like, what am I watching? How is this, how is this happening? Um, you know, there are some of the trustees, some of the trustees are amazing. I'm thankful for the trustees who do actually seem to stand up for their kids. Um, trustees Agno and Guzzo in particular, like they actually listen to the students and bring forward what those students want. The rest of them are just like, are you, are, do you even care about the kids? I mean, it, it, they seriously act like they just have their own interests and their own agendas at, you know, they're just trying well, to fulfill their own agendas. Ask that actually, yeah, is, what, what are those, you know, what, what, and, and we, we tend to, I know we certainly have done, uh, we tend to talk about the, the board as a kind of monolith um, and it's clearly not. I mean, it's very divided, and there are kind of well-known characters on both sides. And um, you know, I won't list them off because I'll miss one. But yeah, I'm sure you could. <laughs> Why do you think? You know, if it's if it's it's such a sort of peculiar thing that happens on elected bodies, but. W- why do these people choose to get elected and what are they 
trying to do if they're just kind of blocking everything and just, you know, what's in it for them? Isn't that just the $35,000 question? Like, I don't, I don't understand why some of these people became trustees. They have they have no skin in the game. There's there's it, it it's like it I'm trying to find the words to describe it here. It, I don't know what their agenda is. Um I can I can make some guesses, but um it, it would be just guessing. But I mean there are we all know that there are groups out there that are very um very right wing and very extra conservative and as a result very um very exclusionary of a lot of marginalized groups. Um, and that's across across the whole spectrum of marginalized groups. And in a lot of cases, that does also include um, uh, like uh, kids with kids who are in the, the special education program as well. I think in some ways, even even those kids get the, the short end of the stick. Um, in, like, I don't know. The, the most clear example I can give you was a few months ago where Trustee Carabella tabled a motion to write a letter to the Senate opposing Bill C-7, which was the one that had the clause in it about medically assisted death. And I remember reading that motion and I went, this has nothing to do with school. This is nothing to do with education. We're going to spend however long arguing about this because it's clearly going to be a divisive issue. And this has nothing to do with, it does nothing to do with students. It doesn't, it, for the most part, it's not affecting students. It has nothing to do with education. Why are you talking about this? And that debate took up a good chunk of the meeting and was awful to listen to. Um, and then a few, and then just recently, I think, what, two weeks ago, there was another motion to write a letter to uh, support menstrual products in schools. Um, and now Halton Catholic, to their credit, passed that last year. So we already do that. The letter was simply to write a letter to the government to ask them to support it on a province-wide level, because not every school board supports it. So there was no downside. If anything, that means that we're going to have to spend less money on it out of our board because the province is going to cover it. Great. What, that, what does it tell you that – I mean, we're, we're talking about trustees that, quite frankly, do not necessarily have a background in education. I think uh, Trustee O'Brien, if I'm to be uh, truthful, does have a background in education. He was a former teacher. But the majority of uh, uh, trustees on the board are not teachers. They have no background in, in education. They have no uh, uh, experience as teachers or as uh, uh, administrators or any any – Whatnot, and uh, you know, we're, we're this, the board does have an awful lot of power. When when you when you look at a school board's power, they have a, they own a lot of land across the across the region. You know, their budget is huge compared to you know people don't really think of it, but uh, the the Halton Catholic and the Halton Public School Board budgets are ju huge. Like they're more than some of the municipality budgets um, combined uh, in Halton regions, and so they we they wield a lot of power. Uh, in the region, yet we don't elect former teachers or former principals or or any kind of administrator to the board. And I'm wondering, do, do you see that as a problem in terms of addressing, you know, the, the very, especially in the age of COVID, the very real cases of, of getting our schools safe, getting our schools effective? Um, uh, you know, do do you see this as a as a hindrance? Um, not necessarily that. That if the board doesn't need to be made made up of past um, past teachers or past administrators. Um, I don't think to have a skin and have skin in the game and to, you know, really be paying attention to be sort of caring about the kids and having their best interests at heart. I don't think that is a prerequisite. Um, I think just because you even just because you don't have kids in the system doesn't necessarily mean that you couldn't be a good trustee even. Um, 
like I can think of a, a friend of mine who was just like, maybe I'll just go run. I don't have kids, but I could do a better job than, than these monkeys. It's like, yeah, you probably could because you just, you, you openly care about this, about the kids. And I think as long as you have somebody in that position who is actually putting the students and putting their interests first and not spending their time on alternate right-wing agendas, then you just need people who care. You need people who actually care and are willing to do things. And it, sometimes it means willing to make hard decisions. The pride flag being one of those decisions. There are going to be times you're going to make decisions that aren't going to be popular, but your job there is not to go and be a populist. Your job is to go and look out for the students and to do right by them. I was just, just coming back to the, the you, you mentioned the menstrual products as well as the outcome of that. So the board had actually already voted in favor, trying to suggest to the province that they should, um, they should um, uh, do it at a provincial level. Um, and was that, did the whole board still support that or, or, or what happened there? Um, no, the, the, well, the motion to write the letter did pass. It was met with objections. Um, Trustee DeRosa didn't think that they should be playing the role of politicians, despite having voted in favor of the C7 letter months prior. Um, he ended up abstaining from voting on the menstrual product letter. Um, and I will point out that in his discussion, he referred to our needy female students when discussing their menstrual needs. So that was fun. Um, and then, uh, oh. and Trustee Carabella's comment was that, uh, <laughs> yeah, Trustee Carabella's comment was that um, boards should be able to make decisions based on the needs of their students, because apparently the way that you menstruate in one city differs from another city. Um, so the, the the letter did pass, and I think at last I checked, about 80% of school boards had written this letter, so I, I expect we'll see something coming out of it. It's, it's almost not so much the, the decisions. I mean, we tend, I mean, it was, I, I almost don't understand why the pride flag debate didn't, the four people who who, who might have supported it, uh, if, if there was the usual split, didn't kind of push on because... Ultimately, they do seem to have a majority. It's a four-three split. The, the 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 three people who tend to vote against everything um, lose, um, but they just take an awful long time about it. Um, is that your impression, or is that just I'm you know my more superficial um, kind of outsider's view there? Um, no, I think that the way that the split tends to go is that you've got the minority four that were referenced in the report who tend to vote together. Almost, almost exclusively, not all the time, but almost exclusively those. Oh, sorry, uh, five, four, not four, three. Yeah. yeah. Um, of the remaining five, I'd say three were sure votes for voting in favor. The other two were sort of swings. And for the most part, those two tend to vote a little bit more student centric, but not exclusively. And this was one area where they didn't end up voting with it. I think the amendments that were made, while I didn't agree with the amendment that was brought within the first five seconds of the debate to remove the flag from the motion, uh, I am guessing here, but I think that that was done in order to try to salvage something out of the motion, because I think the person who put that amendment knew that it was not, that the, the motion was not going to pass in its state. Um, right. So I can kind of appreciate what, what happened tell, here, but... On, on, going back to that, I mean, immediately after the, the board failed to pass the motion to... to or failed to make the decision to raise the flag. Um, a number of schools posted uh, LGBTQ plus affirmative messages to their social media profiles, uh, free from any coercion from board or, or, or members. You as a parent, what does that, what does that tell you about these, the state of the Halton Catholic 
school board? Uh, that tells me straight up that those trustees who voted against the motion, who were against showing support for these marginalized students, that they're just out of touch and that they don't have student best interests in mind. Full stop. Further to that, um, it makes me question the, um, I guess you can say that the competency and the strength and the courage and the leadership of the director, uh, Pat Daly. Um, this was a decision that he could have made on his own. He has the authority to make that decision straight up to just say that all the schools are going to fly the flag. Um, his counterpart in Waterloo did it. A number of other directors have done it. He could have just made the decision and avoided this whole thing. It did not need to be as charged a debate as it was if he had just done his job as the director of education and said, yeah, our students want this. And then and then even if he had let it go to the to the vote first, once you saw the backlash where I, there's 54 schools, I believe, in Halton Catholic and all but two posted affirmative messages and the two who didn't don't have active Twitter accounts. So when 52 of your 54 schools post these messages there, and not to mention that OECTA wrote a letter as well on behalf of the staff. So your schools and your staff and your students have all very clearly told you that this is what they want. And as the director of education, you still don't step up and do what they want because you're, what, afraid of backlash from the trustees. Your job is to protect the students, not to protect the trustees. Step up. So there's a really, a really important point there that, that I wasn't aware of. So the director of education who, um, again, remind me of the name. It's early in the morning. Pat Daly. <laughs> Pat Daly. Um, the director of education could has the ability to just do this, take it away from the elected people's. Yeah, that's what agenda. that's what they did at in Waterloo. The Waterloo Catholic, the the director just said, "Well, the policy will now be run through June. We're flying the flag." And because I mean, that's been my my kind of take on this all along is that this has no business coming within a hundred miles of a school board elected school board trustee they have no business talking about gender and sexuality and anything remotely connected to those things those are not school board level school board trustee level decisions those are things that are decided at a federal level um and should entirely appropriate then to be implemented by non-elected officials so yeah wow that's a huge huge part of this and i would certainly say that the the Director of Education needs to answer for why he didn't make use of the powers of, uh, available to him. And maybe that would have made him popular with the trustees, but too bad, you know? Yeah. I mean, well, the I last thing you want to do is... I would put it... I would put... I would just... To be devil's advocate, though, um, it is his job. Like, that... If he... If... I mean, the, I, I would argue that the the problem being is that you have a, a school board that's clearly divided and it's clearly divisive... I, I I mean I I don't know if I would be wanting to to wade into that. I my I my I have a question though. Like, oops, it's, it sounds like there's such a divide between the board and parents. Um, now parents are clearly on one on one side. They want they, they in your organization is formed to kind of give parents a more clear, concise voice on these issues. Is there a way? I mean, we have the next municipal election coming up next year. Uh, where in theory the board could be changed. Uh, I'm wondering, do you do you see a way for the board to bridge this gap between the the tr the, the the students and the parents and the teachers and themselves? Is is there a way to do that? Is there a path forward that we can kind of heal this divide before we have the, an election happens? I really want to be able to say yes, and I just really can't. Um, I mean. 
the 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 issues that stem from from the minority four are deep and they're not going to change and i mean even if you take some of the actions that were called out specifically in that uh trustee conduct report like voting against agendas without raising objections and voting against meeting minutes without raising objections and raising a thousand amendments that you know are going to fail simply to run the clock and then voting to end the meeting early and then complaining that the reason that the meetings aren't getting done is because the chair has a problem with managing it. Well, no, you ended the meeting. That's the problem. I mean, it, half the time it's basically a filibuster disguised as other stuff. Well, um, I, I, well so I don't, I don't think good, that... That's a, uh, no, sorry, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, it's, you, 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 had, you had a good point there, or I, just, I, I don't want to I don't want to lose this while it's in my head. In that report, they point out that it, it, you can kind of tell it if you really, if you read the report. I do recommend everybody do if you're interested in the story. Um, the 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 author points out like there's not really a a way to fix this. There's not like you can't just change these rules and fix it. What it comes down to is the fact that the board doesn't get along. Is what pretty much he writes in the report. If I'm not mistaken, he just writes that you know you just have to act better. Because there's yeah. nothing, there, there is no, there's, there is no rule stopping you from saying, I oppose the agenda. Why? Because I just oppose it. I, I don't want to approve the minutes. Why? Because I just don't want to. And, or the, the constant amendment after amendment after amendment after amendment to decisions, because you know, it's, you know, you're going to lose, but it just runs down the clock. So you can then can't end the meeting at 1030 or, or whenever. Um, you know, in the, in the real world, I don't, I don't know what you do for a living, Lauren, but in the real world, if you had a, a meet, a meetings with your colleagues that ended that way. Um, I'd be fired pretty quickly. You, like, I was going to say, like, I can't, I can't imagine any board of any company uh, acting that way. You, you, you know, if I was a shareholder or a stakeholder, I'd be, uh, I'd be appalled, and I'd be saying, no, I want, I want to, I want a change of changing of the guard immediately. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, unfortunately, it, it, it's your your route for trying to change the guard when it comes to elected trustees. You, there's there's almost no recourse. Like there's really not any recourse for trying to remove trustees or really any, any elected officials. Um, but at least in sort of the rest of the political world, you can, you know, the, the leader can choose to kick someone out or whatever. There's nothing like that for trustees. Trustees are self-governing. There isn't a body that oversees them. And only in the most exceptional of circumstances would the ministry get involved. Um, that happened in Peel Public, if you want to go look up what happened there. Um, but uh, but but really, there's no recourse now. The ministry is looking into that, and they have put out um, they have put out a survey asking for stakeholder feedback on how they can manage trustee conduct, basically, and and oversight and that sort of thing. Um, that survey is open for another month. Uh, it will be posting it on the Halton Parents for Change accounts in the next couple of days. Um, so that's uh, at Halton PFC on all platforms. Um, but we'll be posting a link to that survey for people to fill out. And it definitely should be done. The ministry wants to hear how they can address it because we're not the only board with issues with trustees. I mean, I, I kind of feel, you know, there are all kinds of um, government entities that we have or public entities that we have that do not have elected boards. I mean, the police services boards are a great example. Um, and, um, uh yeah, I mean, in similar, I mean, probably much more influential in, in some ways, and and similarly big budgets. Is there any reason why we have to have elected school boards? And isn't it just um, encouraging the kind of worst kind of behaviour by by something with you know this is 
you know, as as Chair um, Murphy said himself, you know, they're not dealing with the curriculum. They're not dealing with the day-to-day operations of the schools. They're not, the list of things they're not dealing with is much, much longer than the things they are. So you end up with them chatting about flags and school names, the two things which always seem to come up as, as, as contentious, uh, or, you know, issues that they have no business even looking at. Um, can't we just get rid of these idiots? <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, and have some professional people do it, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like, um, like we do in other places. Yeah. Oh, well, I've got like five different thoughts in my head right now. Okay. Um, so <laughs> the thing is that in a, in a board that functions well, like if you want to see the other side of it, go watch the Halton public board meetings. Those meetings are boring. It's like watching paint dry and that's how it should be. In theory, all that all the, all the role yeah, they're supposed yeah. to do is provide oversight. And even from personal experience, I spent five years sitting on a on a daycare board. It's a not for profit daycare. It has a group of volunteer um, board of directors to oversee it, basically just to make sure that things are running as they should and that there's no funny business going on. That's what the elected trustees are supposed to do. They're supposed to just to be there, provide oversight. There are certain things that they do need to approve so that like, like policies for the most part, um, because that needs to have input from, it's an oversight. It's, it's supposed to be outside of the board of director. The board of director is supposed to prepare it, but then this group of nine comes together to be like, yep, this all looks good. Off you go. It should be just a super boring, nothing position. There's a reason they get paid peanuts because it's not supposed to be a full-time job. And that's just not the case at our board. At our board, it's, and this is, this is down just to so many different factors. It's down to the director not making these decisions themselves. Three quarters of the issues that are coming to the board table, the director should be able to just make that decision and be like, yeah, this is in the best interest of our students, move on. Um, and then you get the minority four who bring up a thousand amendments who argue about the agenda. In the last minute, they spent 25 minutes arguing about approving the agenda because one of them claimed it wasn't a legal agenda. Like... No, we've now just, it's a two and a half hour meeting. We spent 25 minutes arguing about the agenda. Super use of time. And this happens every single meeting on every single point. It should just be, here's the stuff that legally we have to go through. You can have some meaningful discussions. You can raise some questions. Like it's not to saying that like, yeah, just, just go and green check mark everything. There is debate to be had, but it just, it's not the debate that we're actually having is not the debate that needs to be had. So what are you as parents planning to do uh, to make your voices heard heard on this front? Because it, it sounds like you're not going to go quietly into the dark on this uh, on this matter. No, um, if, if they think we're going to just sit back and let this unfold and they've got another thing coming. Um, it's it's all about next October. It's vote out the dinosaurs. It's get some better people in those chairs who can, you know, if we, if we can get nine people who are exactly like trustees Agnew and Guzzo, then this board is going to be fabulous because you need trustees like them who can, who watch out for the kids, who listen to them, um, who, who take their concerns, who actually, who actually care about their best interests and, and can work with the, can work with the senior leadership team as well. Um, they all need to be able to work together and the current trustees just don't want to work with anybody. So for us, it's, for us, it's about, it's about raising awareness. I mean, I'll admit that before masking, I had no idea the amount of power that trustees hold, you know, like everybody talks about like, you know, everybody gets out for the federal and provincial elections. And then you come to the municipal and it's like 30% voter turnout. Let me tell you, these, these people have way more effect on your daily life and the lives of your kids than the people you elect at the higher levels. 30% turnout's not good enough. So a lot of it is just a question of 
raising awareness and um, and letting people know what's actually happening at the board. And in some ways, COVID's actually been, I don't want to say a blessing, but people have been at home and people have been paying attention and there's been more issues that have been on people's minds and people have started engaging more. Um, I've started publicly making meeting summaries because I feel like if everybody sits and watches those four hour meetings every other week, they're all going to go crazy. So I'm going to take one for the team and summarize those meetings so that you can read it in five minutes and not in four hours. Um, and it's, it's a lot of awareness and my whole group of parents are all, it's a fabulous group of parents and we all just want to do better for our kids. Well, and that's something that I always say, whenever uh, groups such as yours come together and start challenging elected officials, um, they tend to react very negatively to that and they start throwing accusations around. And I dare say you, you may encounter some of those over the next year. But good politicians welcome this stuff um, because you're engaged parents, you're there because you care. And if they're any good, they should never fear any of that. They should welcome it with open arms and, um, yeah, more power to, to, to your elbows. Um, uh, it, certainly everything you say about paying attention to, to school board elections and municipal elections is so true um, because, you know, the, the number of people who choose their school board trustee by seeing if they recognize a name and if they don't just sort of dropping a pen, pin into a map, you know, is, is, I know I've done that over the years, um, is, is horrendous. And yet these people are making really, well, decisions, which, which I don't think they should be making, but nevertheless, they're making them. So we should be paying attention. I totally agree. Totally agree. Uh, I'm not, I'm noticing that we're coming up on the half hour mark for the, this episode. So, uh, as we off as a catchphrase for this episode, we could go on for hours on this. Uh, but I'm afraid we're going to have to uh, to end it there. So, thank you very much, uh, Lauren uh, Lauren Wallace of the Halton Parents for Change uh, for coming on and sharing her the other side of the uh, of the coin, if you will, on the uh, on the issue of school Halton Catholic School Board trustee conduct. Uh, so, thank you very much, Lauren. Thank you. For, thank you very much. You can follow us on all socials at Halton PFC. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. Emily Roger. 
and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com.